Companion, episode 42. This is our special Secrets of the Universe episode. Uh, we're going to be discussing DS9's seventh season, the first three episodes, Image in the Sand, Shadows and Symbols, and After Image. I am your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And here we go. Image in the Sand and Shadows and Symbols, Season 7, Episodes 1 and 2, Production Numbers 551 and 552. Original air dates, September 30th, 1998 and October 7th, 1998. Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler. Image in the Sand, directed by Les Landau. Shadows and Symbols, directed by Alan Croker. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Casey Biggs as Damar, Barry Jenner as Admiral Ross, J.G. Hertzler as General Martok, Megan Cole as Senator Kretak, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Johnny Moran as Bajoran Man, James Darren as Vic Fontaine, Deborah Lacey as Sarah, Laura Lively as Siana, Kuak Tamak Sanchez as Bajoran Crewman, and Brock Peters as Joseph Sisko. Three months have passed since Goldicott killed Judzir Dax and sealed the wormhole, and life on Deep Space Nine has changed. Colonel Kira is now the acting commander and is told by Admiral Ross that the Romulans will be setting up shop on the station for the good of the war. Meanwhile, Sisko, who has retreated to Earth to contemplate a way of contacting the Vajoran prophets, has a vision of a woman's face buried in the sand. He sketches her, and Jake Sisko recognizes her from his grandfather's photos. But when Sisko asks his father about the woman in the photo, he gets upset and refuses to identify her. Cisco meets Ezri Dax, who by mere chance became the new host of the Dax Symbiote. After reluctance from Ben, he, Jake, Joseph, and Ezri depart for the planet Tyree on their search for the Bajoran's mythical orb of the Emissary, which Cisco believes exists on Tyree from his visions. On Deep Space Nine, Kira prepares a blockade to stop the Romulans who have placed weapons on a Bajoran moon. And then on a Klingon ship, Worf, O'Brien, Bashir, and Cork embark on a mission of their own to destroy a Dominion shipyard, thus securing a place for Judge Zier and the sacred Klingon afterlife of Stovacor. Mary, you had a wife before, Mama? It's a little bit more complicated than that, then. You see, Sarah was your mother. Woo! PS9, <laughs> seventh season. I tell you guys these two episodes I think this is my favorite season opening for DS9 Um, those are big words hmm? that's that's pretty big you really really enjoyed the opening opening for season 6 yeah and I you know I'm going to tell a very brief personal story (laughs) I like to tell these stories I don't know it puts it in context all right (laughs) you know, so I finished high school. I went to the army for four years, and I got out of the army and I went to college. And uh, you know, through all that time, you know, that was DS Nine and DS Nine's final season. This season, it premiered my first year of college, and I was a Star Trek nut, but I was really a DS Nine nut. I mean, DS Nine is still my favorite. And going into the seventh season, coming out of season six, I could not have possibly been... This was the most excited I have ever been for any season of Star Trek to start, right? And my, it premiered like my first week... See, this, this episode premiered like my first week of college. And uh, this story isn't going to... I'm going to make it say it faster because it's probably not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, 
it was like Wednesday. This is when they were playing. They would play DS9 and Voyager on Wednesday nights. I remember, and I came back from school, and I was so excited. And I had like a trombone choir class or something that was like, uh, it's from six to seven or something like that. So I left that thing early because I had to be home for the premiere of DS9's seventh season, and I had to run across campus with my trombone. <laughs> anyway, I get back to my room and I run up there, and I'm about to open the door, and it's like six fifty or seven fifty, whenever it was ten minutes till the show was going to start. And I hear these two girls crying <laughs> behind me. And I look down and I see these two girls sitting in the grass courtyards just crying. And, you know, like any other time you would have been, what's wrong? You know, something like that. But but I just tried to ignore it. And I opened my door. <laughs> and I went inside and I shut the door. And I could still hear them crying. And I was like, oh, my God, no, please, please, please just stop. And they didn't. And I had to open the door and ask them what was wrong. And they had been left there by some weird guy or something and they needed a ride home and nobody would give them a ride home. And here it was two minutes until DS9 7 season was going to start. So leave us into suspense. Did you give them a ride home? Yes. And to make things worse, I tried to throw a tape into my VCR and my VCR wasn't working. <laughs> was so, this the little closet you were living in in Denton? Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, did so, you at least get any action from either of them? Or? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just took them home, and oh. then I ran, I drove about eighty miles an hour down city streets, like you know <laughs> neighborhoods that should have been fifteen, so that I could get back as fast as I remember driving them to wherever I was going, and they were looking at me like I was crazy because I was driving so fast. And I told them something like, "I don't even have time to explain to you why I'm in such a hurry." Um, anyway, so I still missed the first ten minutes, and and. Uh, my memories of this episode were that it started with his <laughs> flashback or flash forward, whatever, to the sand. Because I didn't mm-hmm. see any of the stuff before that for years. So that's my personal sad, sad story. Hmm. But All right. <laughs> what, what I love about DS9's seventh season, aside from, well, one of the many things I love is that in a way, this is as current as Star Trek gets. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I got, you know, like Voyager was. It keeps going after this show, but it's way off, you know, in the Delta Quadrant, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even change uniforms. Uh, Enterprise was made after this, but of course, it takes place before any of these shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a way, okay, yeah, and also, you know, maybe one of the movies is is just after this, but but in a way, this was the final chronological season of Trek in what we think of as the Trek universe. You know, the Alpha Quadrant, the Next Gen, mm-hmm. it's nine world um even the original series whatever but the point is it was it was the now star trek and we've never had anything more now you know and it even though it's so many years old now i get very excited watching this seventh season because it's it's as current as star trek has ever been mm-hmm. does that makes mm-hmm. sense that's yeah, yeah, yeah oh yeah i'm Anyway, that was one thing I loved about that Borg 4D ride at the the Vegas Experience thing because it was um, it was in this you know, yeah these yeah. forms. Anyway, so I have now spent a couple of minutes not really talking about the episode. Uh, I apologize for those of you that are like, will you stop and just talk about images in the sand? So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You guys remember? Do you guys remember seeing this for the first time? Were you? Yeah, mm-hmm. I do. 
yeah, I, I followed it closely and was I certainly anticipated it. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting when you see these episodes together. They, uh, I, I mean, I, I like them both individually, but they're definitely companions. I mean, you they they pack a punch as two episodes together. You know, that's kind you of can't the have whole point. Without the other, and it's crazy that they were not aired originally on the same night, right? Yeah. They were yeah. apart. Mm. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't just do it as a two-parter, but Voyager must have been on the same night. Mm. Now, Caesar, I know you've talked, you've said you saw these later. Yeah, I mean, um, you were you were just talking about Denton and how crazy it gets, and I'm living when I was back in Amarillo. I mean, I think I religiously watched the at least the first four seasons, maybe five. But I think what was this '98? Yeah, that's when I was yeah. in Blockbuster living with hooligans and you know college life <laughs> that kind of thing and having friends with hooligans like Brian you know it's, it's hard to mm-hmm, fit everything course. in but no I, I, I watched these sometime afterwards not not too long after um, you remember Daniel he probably he was just sure. as religious about it as we were so I probably watched yeah. them over there or something mm-hmm. um, this this opener compared to most of the other season openers, openers for DS9 it's um you know, it's not as like I don't know, action packed or, or big or anything like that on paper. But as I said a minute ago, this is my favorite of their openers because, in a way, this to me is the biggest. Even though it doesn't have, you know, some big space battle or I don't know whatever, um, what happens in these these two episodes is is so. Um, larger than the show it feels mm-hmm. like uh, that completely satisfying I mean these uh, all three episodes we're going to discuss today I think are fantastic episodes but um, these two really I think they really hold up um, so let's get into the nitty gritty of it <clears throat> um, they, they start off very quickly setting up um, each of these kind of multiple storylines that they're gonna that they're going to uh, address during these two, this two-parter, um, but of course the main thrust of this is the Cisco storyline. So Cisco has gone back to um, New Orleans. He's working with Jake at his father's restaurant, and we immediately find out that it's been three months. You know, Kira is. She's a colonel now, and she's still running the place, and we still don't know if Cisco's going to come back. And that's pretty crazy to think three months and they haven't heard anything from him. Three months, and he's still just sitting there at the restaurant tinkering on the piano. And he has his first um, image of this woman in the sand. Um, so, let's see. Yes, this is the episode, this first one, if we kind of focus on Image in the Sand for a moment. This is where we discover that the prophets, um, that depending on how you look at it, Cisco is like half God. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, this, the prophets uh, engineered his birth uh, by taking over this, this woman, Sarah. Uh, now, I remember the first time Joseph Cisco tells his son, that you see Sarah was your mom you know that was like a holy crap what that to me was it was incredible insane nutty crazy Cisco's response to it is I mean he is surprised but it's not nearly as surprised as I think 
You know, you're, you're telling me not only was the person in my entire life I thought was my mom not my mom, it was this other person that I've never heard of. <laughs> I saw in a vision. <laughs> yeah, and it also I saw in this vision. But I think, yeah, I think it's that he's so focused on what's the meaning of this vision and his goals that it's, yeah, it's obviously surprised, but his, the first thing on his mind is, okay, all right, fine. Who is this person? What does this give me? Where does this lead me? You know, so. Well, it was part of the prophet's plan for him that he would discover this information, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Clearly. So this was always in their plan. Um. And I think I think you know you talk about the revelation and how big of a deal it was. I mean, one you have the captain, you know, finding out, and you know, a Star Trek captain finding out something, you know, a revelation about his parentage, and then that it has something to do with something spiritual. And I think for me, this is one of those moments in this series that that made it. Um, um, so, so revolutionary, you know, it brought it into kind of the contemporary television, you know, where, what we're used to seeing now in television with these kind of grand ideas and, and willing to take risks and do strange things, you know, with characters and their backstory and where they're going. But in Star Trek, up to this point, you didn't see a whole lot of that. Well, the cool thing about it is, you know, actually, Sarah was your mom. And actually, it was a prophet, you know, taking her <laughs> over and all this stuff. And she left, you know, it's it's so it's one of those things I've kind of mentioned this on our podcast before, but one of those things I love that any, anytime Star Trek does it, it, it's it's just like this totally super sci-fi kind of thing. Like if you were reading a sci-fi novel, this mm-hmm. is the kind of out there thing they would do. But it's not the kind of thing that happens very often in episodic television. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, at the very least, not back then in the nineties. Yeah, but but even today, it's got to be like a really hardcore sci-fi type show for them to even mess with this sort of thing. Sure. Um, and and it's interesting too. Obviously, they didn't they didn't plan this when the show started. That you know his mother was had been, yeah uh, possessed by a, a prophet when he was uh, conceived. Um, but it does work for the show. It actually it actually explains a lot of things about why. Cisco and how he became, how he was always going to become the emissary. I mean, it kind of makes it makes some sense, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, so um, let's talk. They, they introduced the other storylines uh, as well. So we've got um, uh, Colonel Kira, <laughs> new, new outfit. Yeah, new haircut and a new outfit. I don't really mm-hmm. care for her new hair, but I like her new outfit anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> Colonel Kira uh, standing up to the Romulans, and and then uh, you know uh, Worf and Jadzia's other friends um, going on this mission uh, to ensure she gets into Stovacor. Um The Kira Romulan storyline always seemed like kind of the weaker one to me. It picks up a little bit in the sec- second episode, but it still feels like something we've seen before. I mean, even I, it reminded me like when. Well, when we get to the second episode, but like when she's having that standoff with them, it, it reminded me of the pilot when she was standing mm-hmm. off in the same kind of way with right. the Cardassian captain. Uh, there, I told you, there's your wormhole. You know, remember that? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it didn't it didn't feel as um, unique as the other two storylines. Um, oh yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely wasn't as interesting <laughs> because you know, obviously, you know, we're concerned. I mean, you're you're. Empathy in the character, you're concerned for Worf. It's like, uh, you know, how many bad things can this guy go through? And then obviously Cisco on his um, sp- spiritual path. So, yeah, I mean, 
this third storyline really does take a back seat. I don't. I mean, maybe if it isn't, I don't. I don't have a problem with it. It might have been a little bit more interesting if in another episode, but it, it, it just kind of it's kind of filler to me in these episodes, kind of for transitioning between storylines. Yeah, I do think it's very impressive how they managed to juggle all these things and bring everything to a satisfying conclusion um, and all these storylines within two episodes. You know, it seems like it's just packed, you know, but it, yeah. it, it, it works. You know. It's packed, but, but, but what I love so much about it, like I was saying earlier, even for a season premiere, there's a lot going on, a lot going on, but it's calm, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think about all those great scenes at um, Cisco's restaurant. Um, what's this restaurant called? Just Cisco's? Cisco's. Yeah. yeah, okay. All those great scenes at Cisco's. And those are mostly quiet scenes. Those are mostly like, you know, at the end of the day, the restaurant's empty. He's sitting at a table. His dad's standing up. You know, I mean, there's, they're, 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 kind of, they're kind of quiet scenes in a way. Um, I, it would have been, I don't know, out of character if they had been otherwise, and I and I and I like that. I like that that it's just these. It's just a lot of people talking and working things out, and that's well, it was a it was a ballsy choice for a premiere. But mm-hmm. it, but because it's written so well and performed so well and so perfect inside the narrative of the entire series, that they pull it off. Well, it's something that we also don't get to see in Star Trek that often is kind of like um, family settings. You know, we get to see the yeah. relationships between um, Cisco and his father and Jake. And, you know, obviously we've seen him in the past, but not, I don't, I don't recall ever seeing like this prolonged where, you know, I mean, it's good, almost the almost full, full first episode, you know, we just have these interactions that are just Jake, him and his father. And, it, and it's nice. It's, um, you know, it doesn't need to be, you know, flamboyant and flashy. It's just families trying to work something out and obviously you know very something very serious about oh this isn't your mom this is your mom type situation it's um yeah i mean i would agree with you it's it's very subtle but very um dramatic and interesting when did cisco's mother die i mean it was before the series started but mm-hmm. i assume I don't know it if they was, ever really said i'm not sure they do i i'm just there wasn't much mention in here of jake saying my grandma wasn't my grandma you know <laughs> right so right i wonder if either he didn't tell him or if maybe she died before he was born or something. I don't know. Hmm. Um, so, you know, by the time this episode ends, um, we, we do a very, they do a very good job of kind of setting up. Here's what needs to happen. You know, Cisco says, I need to find this, this orb. Um, Worf and his, friends say we're going to go on this mission to get Jetsy into Strovacor. And I, I like that scene by the way where oh and the and the last thing, um, you know, we, we set up what's gonna happen between uh Kira and the Romulans. But I do like that scene uh where um O'Brien goes to try and figure out what Worf's problem is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, with the uh, bottle of blood wine. <laughs> Especially the way that's kind of juxtaposed with the third episode we're going to discuss today. But at any rate, we... Uh, we oh, real uh, quick, I did enjoy seeing an, an iPad in this first episode, too. <laughs> P-A-D-D pad? <laughs> yeah. And he was even used in his thumbs. It was great. I was like, I've seen one of those before. <laughs> Just a lot um, bigger. So for as much as I like Image in the Sand, and it's for as true as it is that we can't really separate that from Shadows and Symbols, uh, Shadows and Symbols pays it off in such a perfect way, and I really love this episode. 
which is incredible because Garrick isn't even in it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, although Esri does show up in the last few seconds of image, um, of course, her real unveiling is um, Shadows and Symbols. So, as we all know, Terry Farrell did not want to return. um, And they killed her. They killed off Dax. Uh, <laughs> she said, well, they, killed they, actually carried Terry, they actually killed Terry Farrell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they killed her and uh, brought her back as Esri. Now, this is the first time we've seen this. Is a, this was a great uh, writing trick here. Um, dramatic trick. Um, that Esri was not, and that never planned to be joined. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was this medical complication, and they had to join Dax with somebody, and she was the only trio that was around. So we have this young, very young woman who is very unsure of herself anyway, <laughs> humorously trying to be a um, fit in. a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to say, I remember then, and I still feel this way, so completely satisfied with... Nicole, uh, is it Dubois or DeBauer? I'm not sure. Okay. With Nicole's performance as Esri and the character of Esri, I love Esri. I think Esri is fantastic, and I think Nicole does an incredible job. And for the show, it was the perfect, like, uh, kind of breath of fresh air they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember by the time the seventh season was open, over, over May, thinking... Maybe they had one too many because they they do a lot of Esri episodes. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's just the writers were excited to have something new, so maybe they didn't mm-hmm. want any episodes. But for the most part, I'm really glad Dax is still on the show. I'm really glad that it wasn't someone that was even remotely like Jedzia. Right. And I'm really that was glad the best that- choice. Yeah. Making it totally different. That was the way to go for sure. So you you like this. Did you like it at the time, Steve? Do you yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I was curious what they would do, and I thought how fortunate it was that the actor who wanted to leave is playing a character that can so easily live on in some kind of fashion. But uh, I, I did think, yeah, that was the the best the best way to go was some a totally different type of character, you know. So it kind of avoids comparisons and it supplies them with some um, some inter- some interesting uh, scenarios to write for and so forth. And they, they certainly took uh, great advantage of that. Um, Caesar, how did you feel about Esri? At the time, I didn't. I did at the time. I didn't didn't like it. It wasn't because of her performance or anything. Um, I just I, you know I have problems with like recasting. But I think we talked a little bit about this. And so it felt like a, it felt like recasting to you. Yeah, at the time yeah, it did. Our um, last podcast, I think you said something something about uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal taking over for um, uh, What's Your Bird. Uh, from in the Batman movies, and yeah. I and you know, like Steve just said, this was an anomalous. This was an odd situation in that it wasn't just a flat-out recast. I mean, it really they really had this this incredible um, dramatic opportunity to have this person with their memories. But you know, that's what Dax is. I mean, that's what Dax does is you know half survive her soul sort of in this way. So um, I never thought of it as a recast. I guess I'm just too, maybe I'm unfairly um, immersed in the um, in the universe, and I'm letting them have an out when maybe I shouldn't. But well, yeah, like I said, at the time I wasn't 
I don't, I mean, it wasn't like the end of the world or anything, anything like that to me, but, um, yeah, at the time I didn't, I, I, but I have to say, I mean, I really enjoyed it. She's a cute girl. She's, she's got a lot of great energy and I agree with what you and Steve said. She brings a little different energy to the show. Her character is, um, a little more lighthearted. I'd also agree with you that they probably do too do at least one too many episodes just based on her. The one off the top of my head is what when they, they go through all the lives again. What is what's the murderer? What's the what's the guy who's the murderer in her life story? Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I'll, I'll come up with it. <laughs> go ahead. Well, anyway, anyway, it doesn't really matter anyway. That episode I didn't particularly care for, but if I, when I was thinking mm-hmm. about on um, back because obviously we're starting the season and I'm thinking about all the episodes that I can remember. Um, that's the only one I can think of that I. Well, it's. Do. It's it, because because the last ten episodes of how many episodes in this season like twenty six maybe mm-hmm. uh, the last ten episodes are going to be this incredible yeah. single story arc what they how they started season six with those was it five episodes or four episodes yeah five mm-hmm. um, they're going to do the last ten of the series as a single story which is nutty but what that also means is after these first two episodes uh, that means they really only had. Um, you know, uh, what, 14 or so. So 14 minus, minus uh, 2, so 12. Or no, you're right, 14, 14. So they really only had like 14 chances to do standalones. So even if they did four or f- maybe five Je- Esri episodes, then that would that's going to feel like a lot. Right. A lot more than maybe it really was. But I tell you, the one I'm most excited about that I remember was the uh, the one where there's that serial killer on the station yeah I loved that episode I'm hoping it's still as good as I remember but that was See, that's the one I didn't like oh well <laughs> there'll be something I guess. to talk about then yeah <laughs> that's the one I was talking about because she has to go back and you know the whole that's thing. the one where she sees her different I thought that was the, there's one where she goes back to um, the well, that's the one where world. she well no that's the one where she channels her the Duran Duran right Durand, yeah yeah Okay, well, and I think we'll the only find out soon I, enough. And I think the only reason I, di- I didn't like that episode was because I was like, I've, I've seen this. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. tired of Turan, Turan. But, I mean, we'll talk about that later on. Yeah, we, we'll should talk about, we should talk about shadows so, and symbols. So they have color-coordinated so, desert outfits. Did you all notice well, that? Well, hers, hers is so perfectly matched. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's neat that she happened to have that with her when she... Yeah, <laughs> yeah good thing. She, desert gear. Yeah. Well, I always... When I go to a, a restaurant in New Orleans, I always take my desert gear with me. Mm-hmm. Well, they can mm-hmm. always right. materialize it, right? They get the... They can yeah, get that's the right. The re- yeah. Just the replicator. Yeah, what's going on. Computer desert attire. Mm-hmm. But you know, what's weird is like we get to see... We get to see Cisco... No, it's not weird, but I, I really enjoyed seeing Cisco. No, it's weird. It's very weird. <laughs> I enjoyed seeing them in like... They're not like normal clothes that we would think of, but I like I really like the um, the decor, the dress that they they wear. I mean, it's very different from the other shows. And maybe it's because Garrett, Garrett made it because there's different colors and the sure. styles. The, the I, I love this thing. image of of them. You know, Cisco, uh, Jake, uh, Joseph, and um, Esri trekking through the desert. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that image because that's not. I mean, why would they even? You know, they could beam anywhere they want to, but they beamed mm-hmm. to, to kind of the middle of nowhere. He didn't really know where he was going, and he just starts walking. You know, I think those are some great images, and it's a great metaphor for kind of where he is in his life at that moment. You know, it's 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 really lovely, and I, I always remember that. I always remember Ezra taking his baseball when she gets – because I, I love that 
Esri is so immediately different than Jadzia. Immediately, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, she's immediately this person with vulnerabilities in a way that Dax wasn't. And she immediately reacts to situations in a totally different way than Jadzia because she's a different person. Uh, you know, that she's kind of annoyed with Cisco, And she doesn't hesitate to just grab his baseball and throw it. Yeah. <laughs> and I always remember that she did that. It says some cool things about her character being so different. Uh, it, it's a great image after this long day. And then Cisco's like, that's where, we, that's where I'm digging. <laughs> yeah. And the craziest part is that I didn't really find it odd. I guess for, I hadn't, that, that Cisco didn't react more in the previous episode to finding out that his mother was not his mother. And I, I hadn't thought about why, but I think Steve, you probably nailed it because he is, when he gets on these missions from the prophets, he's he's pretty single-minded about it. Uh, in the same way that that never really bothered me, it never felt odd to me that Cisco accepts Esri as Dax so quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and in a way, I mean, he accepts her faster than anybody, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Uh, but it never bothered me. You know, here we is. She's she's literally been introduced to the show a matter of minutes before. Here we go. We're, it, she's on a mission with him. They're they're trekking through the desert, and it doesn't. I don't think twice about it. I think it makes total sense because you know at the very beginning of the series he had not met Jadzia prior, and they seem to get on right away and all that. And plus, you know, in Trek they they see a lot of weird stuff. You can make the argument that you know Jadzia left him in a way in a much more emotional, painful way than than. Yeah. Normally, Dax has left him or something, you know. Curzon, yeah. Curzon lived and lived to be an old, old man, right? Mm-hmm. Died of natural causes or something to that effect. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh. um, so I know you really dug the Benny Russell stuff. I know we're getting to that, but yeah. So when these episodes oh aired, you God, I remember that when 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 they. I didn't. I had no idea what they were doing. Every time, you know, Doctor mm-hmm. was it Wycliffe or whatever to the so and so room. You know, we were hearing those <coughs> sounds. We didn't know what it was. And then they they cut to Benny Russell writing in that that uh, padded room. And it it took me a few seconds, you know, to kind of figure mm-hmm. out what was going on. To, and then when I realized that was the Benny Russell from Far Beyond the Stars, I got goosebumps. I was so excited. I, <laughs> Sitting up in my chair, I couldn't believe it. It was the coolest thing I had ever seen Star Trek do. I, I'm not kidding. I was that excited. I was that nuts for it. I still, watching it this week, I still got goosebumps when that happened. Why is that so amazing and awesome? Well, it's a clever because, bit of writing. Yeah, it's, it's very clever. And it's also very unusual because it really creates ambiguity in Trek. I mean... There's a there's a lot of facets to Trek and the universe, but um, in general, it's con- it's fairly consistent and it's and it makes sense and it's orderly and all this. But basically, what this whole that whole uh, line that started with Far Beyond the Stars created was this. There was this notion in the back of your head that what if this all could be someone's dream, you know? And you you know, it's it's a little tongue in cheek, but it's it, it introduces that kind of ambiguity to it, and we all just have to accept it, you know. And I think that's unusual for Trek, and it's interesting. Well, we know Far Beyond the Stars was a vision given him by the prophets. Mm-hmm. This vision was given to him by the Pa-Wraith. Um, right. But, of course, he didn't know that. Um, but that means also that the Pa-Wraiths had 
some kind of knowledge about uh, what had happened with Far Beyond, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. They're in the Celestial Temple. <clears throat> All right. At this moment, yeah, you're right. Um, but man, I, I really remember seeing that. That's one of those things that I will never forget the first time I saw that moment. And it was just, I couldn't imagine DS9 being feeling bigger or more um, like it's like I'm going to be watching this for the rest of my life you know <laughs> I, I, I oh god you know and I think like we, we all love Star Trek um, but there's a part of us that it's those it's these kind of moments that are the reasons we continue to watch it and we will always give it a chance you know we will always keep we will all we, we I will watch all four seasons of Enterprise which is my least favorite show because I, I'm hoping every time <clears throat> I know the potential is there I know everything they need to, to do that great episode or have that great moment it, it can always come you know at, at any time and here we have it in the second the second episode of this seventh season and it's the coolest thing too because if you hadn't watched Far Beyond the Stars all the information you need to understand what's going on is presented to you Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's totally fine if you hadn't. But assuming you have, man, is it exciting! And that kind of um, um, gift to uh, people that watch you, have, watch you regularly. I mean, it is a gift, and it's something that, of course, the original series didn't have. Much of Next Gen didn't have, because those were the Gene Roddenberry shows, and he was very against, you know. Um, uh, continuity or story arcs that would go over episodes, and it's and it's such a brief thing that sequence. Mm-hmm. What does that sequence last? A few minutes, if that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it gives um. It gives Esri her first opportunity to help her friend. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, Steve, because I definitely would have uh, mentioned that sequence. Mr. Russell put the pencil down <laughs> feels a little bit like step away from the console yeah yeah <laughs> so if you were playing the, the star trek drinking game where you take a drink when they say step away from the console i think put put down the pencil probably counts just yeah well, nice. yeah um and obviously that was damar in the in the yes with yes him. yeah mm-hmm. that's casey biggs the actor who plays damar he was originally scheduled to be in far beyond the stars but i think he had like a scheduling conflict or something so they mm-hmm. got him in right here which is cool mm-hmm. um, and uh, everything kind of comes together um, with all three storylines story at the same time uh, some crazy moments there with um, Cisco or excuse me with um, like uh, when Worf confronts oh I'm thinking of um, when when Worf confronts uh, Quark Quark yeah. And um he keeps pushing but it all it all kind of works. It's it's it, mm-hmm. there's a fine line there because these people are coming with me to honor Jedzia, help her get into Stovacor because they loved her as well, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not when they say that you're not like there's they're not talking they're talking about they're talking about a love that at least these guys wanted to be a romantic love. Well, maybe not all right. right, but you know, Bashir and Quark. And it's got to be put Worf in this weird position to, like, yeah, you know, in a way, embrace them. But he knows 
that she loved them as friends. You can't like turn them away. And we're going to have a chance to kind of address some of this a little bit uh, in the next episode as well. So they, they do uh, bring everything together. <clears throat> and, I, and I, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice. It's well done. You know, I got to bury it cutting to time to fold Senator or Colonel, depending on who Ross was talking to, um, mm-hmm. cutting to war, if you know, prepare to fire on wars command and, it was good. It was very well done. It was very mm-hmm. exciting. And, um, you know, I wish they had aired this back to back with the other one on that first night. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty danged exciting. And of course, we, it culminates with uh, uh, Cisco speaking with the prophets after he opens that orb um, and opens the wormhole back up and kicks the pod wraiths out. Right? Did I interpret that correctly? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Cisco now now it's like he has a moment to breathe because it's all it's done, and he says to them, "You arranged my birth." <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's so. always upset when he goes and sees the prophets. He's <laughs> always <laughs> so like, "What did you do?" You know, it seems like no, I'm just kidding. He just, but it just <laughs> seems like he just kind of upset every time he goes and has one of these little prophet visions. Mm. So uh, these these two episodes are about a lot of things. Anything yeah. you guys want to mention? Yeah, it's difficult to sum up. If I had to try to sum up at all, uh, sum it all up, I might say that uh, the notion of um, following one's instincts ultimately lead to um, redemption for your cause. I mean, I think that's what all the plot lines kind of have in common. For me, that's what it felt like. Following one's instincts. Leads. Following one's instincts leads to ultimately leads to uh, um, the 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 end point to, to your to the satisfaction of your goals and so forth. Even if you don't know all, we always know what your goals are. I, um, and, and I think it it's like a fulfillment thing. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of spirituality, a lot of kind of following. a lot of spiritual what spirituality and instinct as far as where the what the characters lead them to their ultimate destination by following a feeling or a vibe or whatever not necessarily a logical course you know about faith here yeah a little bit i think i think it's a little it's a, it's faith based you know following just kind of taking a leap and feeling your way sometimes leads you to um, the destination you desire even if you're not entirely sure what that destination is Caesar? Um, yeah, I think we pick up right where season six ended off. I It's really enjoyable to see episodes where we've talked about there's there's so much in these episodes, and they really put it together. And I think um, it's probably why we all like Deep Space Nine so much. They just kind of got better and better as the seasons went on. I think if, um, if we watched an episode that was packed full of something like two or three seasons ago, we would be able to pick it apart. I can look at this episode and that find anything like technically wrong with it flaws wise stories smooth um directing everything they're just really on their game and i think they really started to get going at the end of season six and they're carrying it over here um story-wise i would agree with um steve i mean you know life's kind of about a journey and finding finding yourself and finding that um that faith whether it's in God, wormhole prophets, or however you want to describe that, and um, I think we see that culminating in um, Cisco right now, and he's really, we've seen him struggle to find 
try to find out who he, who he is, what he is, and it's really kind of starting to come together for him. And then you have that um, that contrast with um, Esri, where she's entering into the story right when Cisco is coming together as a whole person, as a whole character. We see this character Esri, who's just kind of all over the place, understandably. And um, it's it's really good writing, and it's exciting. It's still exciting to watch. Um, um, it's a joy. I, we don't get. I don't think we really get to see good science fiction shows anymore today. So it's always um, it's always a treat to go back and watch these and, and see and see these again. See like how good science fiction is today that are made, whether it be Battlestar or whatever you like. They kind of like um, they they're on they they started with, with with shows like Deep Space Nine, and um, I'm looking forward to the rest of them. Well, cool. I don't want to add anything to that. <laughs> And, uh, and talking about um, Esri is going to be a good way to uh, pull us into the next episode. But first, six degrees for Image in the Sand and Shadows and Symbols. All uh, right. Adam. Yes. Megan Cole plays Romulan Senator Kretak, who loses her game of poker with Kira. In Next Gen's fifth season, she played Noor in the episode The Outcast. In this episode, Riker falls in love with Soren. What is unusual about Soren and the Janile race? Um, the Janai race, sorry. They're a bunch of pats. No, I'm just um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they don't. Um, they're, they don't have any gender. Is that what it is? Correct. They are androgynous. You are yeah. correct. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Deborah Lacey plays Sarah Sisko, Ben Sisko's newfound mother. Count up today's episodes, Image in the Sand and Shadows and Symbols. In how many episodes does Lacey appear as Sarah? You got multiple choice here. Three, four, or five? Uh, <laughs> I don't really have a good vibe for this. Um, I'm going to say three. You're incorrect. With so few choices left, I will not pass it on to Adam. Uh, the answer was five, and that's assuming you count what you leave behind is one. So, yeah, five. Yeah, well, I would have got it wrong anyway. I would have said four. Oh, well, look at that. In that case, uh, we'll pretend you said four and got it wrong. One <laughs> <laughs> uh, Moving on. Oh, we have to leave We have to leave um, Shadows and Symbols and Images of Sand. But that means we get to talk about Garrick. After Image, Season 7, Episode 3, Production Number 553, Original Air Date, October 14, 1998, written by Renee Caveria, directed by Les Landau, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick. While decoding Cardassian transmissions, Garrick collapses after having a panic attack due to his claustrophobia and is rushed to the care of Dr. Bashir. Finding nothing physically wrong with him, Sisko implores a reluctant Esri Dax, who is a junior counselor, to help Garrick cope. While helping Garrick, Esri must also deal with the range of reactions her presence has generated on Deep Space Nine. Don't flirt with me, Julian. Please. I'm not. I remember how you used to flirt with Jensia. Uh, it was just an observation. Good. Because I'm not like her. She knew how to handle it. Actually, she quite enjoyed it. Really? You didn't know. I have always suspected. All right. Uh, this episode has one of my one of my all-time favorite Star Trek lines. I think my favorite my favorite all-time line is still from Star Trek Generations. This is not your bedroom. Um, <laughs> but, 
also on the list, maybe not quite as high, is these pronouns are going to drive me crazy. <laughs> I love that line. That's a line that like would make no sense. <laughs> That's like this is not your bedroom. It would make no sense unless you were um, yeah. watching. In the, the Star Trek universe. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Star Trek trill. God. I mean, you know, the trills have come so far, much like so many other species. I, I, I don't even remember them. So I, mean, I don't even think of them as the trill we saw like on Next Gen. You know, I think of, I think of uh, Jadzia and Ezri, uh, and and Ezri in a way is it's. There's this chance here, and this episode is the is the real beginning of it. This chance here to examine this thing that all of us like. It, it makes sense. It almost it. Looking back, it, this her reactions to situations makes me look back and think Jadzia didn't make sense. Okay, right. so like, um, why am I drinking this? I don't like this. This is gross. You know, <laughs> that should have been that makes sense to me. Of course, she's gonna or standing on her head. You know, I'm, this is actually giving me a headache. Something that her past host uh, hosts a past host did. You know, that kind of confusion. It, it actually makes sense. Now, maybe what happens is when you go through like when you're you plan to be joined, you go through the Trill, whatever they call their joining academy or whatever it is. You know, they probably prepare you for all this kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, it gives us some great traumatic opportunities here and some great scenes in this episode. And, you know, we're going to have that going forward. Um, what's well, great about the... Go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, what's great about the Trill characters, and we see it, you know, we've seen it, and all of them and it's like you know it's it's able to mirror um us as human beings in a in a unique way because um when you go through life there are things that affect you countless ways that you're not conscious that you're conscious of and not conscious of and um i always found um jadzir and now ezri to be fascinating characters because it's able to highlight that in a very open and you know I can't think of a better blatant way, you know, look, she has like all these lives. She has all these influences. And um, at least for me, it's able for me to look at it and be like, well, yeah, I'm influenced by all of these things just in my one lifetime. So I always thought it was unique and a, and a very clever character, whoever thought of it and wrote it up um, along the way. I mean, and obviously the actors that have portrayed him and um, I enjoy it. And like I said, I'm, I was wrong at the time. I didn't really, um, like Esri, but um, I've grown I've grown into it. Let's put it that way. Huh. Yeah, that's yeah. I, that's sort of kind of where I was going to. I was going to say is that um, I think it, as we've discussed several times before, when uh, aliens, the purpose of the aliens seems to be in, in Star Trek that they reflect some facet of the human condition. And I think with trills, you have that they're essentially uh, reflecting the the duality and the multiplicity of all of us individually. I mean, what we're seeing here is you're kind of seeing that notion like whenever you go to some place or meet some person again that you haven't seen in a very long time and that calculated expression you can you can never go home again that kind of idea where we evolve as people and and so certain conditions certain circumstances aren't the same now as they were 10 20 years ago and so on and and that's to me that's kind of what the, the trills are about that's interesting so you're comparing her to say spock in the original series or data on next gen or at the beginning of ds9 odo but by this point in the series you know odo's pretty comfortable with his humanity yeah yeah so bringing asri gives him a chance to have that 
that ask those questions again and, and examine these things from that mm-hmm. outsider's point of view again. Right. And, think about it, way, good. and if you think about it, we do that throughout life. I mean, there's no point, um, at least for me up to this point, there's not any point where you don't go back and re-examine things over and over again. And um, in, in a way, this is kind of true to life. And in, in, in episodical television, it's easy to just be like, okay, this character's set, he's good, we don't need to do anything else to him, but that's not really real life. So there, there has always got to be changing and, and evolving and you know reexamining, um, and this was a good way to do it with the, the dad's character. Well, I tell you, um, my favorite scene in this episode—it's very easy for me to answer that question. <laughs> uh, okay, and it's not a Garrick scene actually. Oh no! <laughs> Although I do love Garrick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite scene in this episode is. The scene where Ezri is sitting down with uh, Bashir, yeah, and um, uh, she says to him, you know, when she she thinks he's kind of hitting on her or something, he's like, no, no, I'm not. And then and then she says, you know, if it wasn't for Worf, it would have. If Worf hadn't shown up, it would have been you. Jedzia would have would have been with you. Um, I'm like, my God, <laughs> I, that is such a that's a such a crazy thing to have, you know? That, yeah. I, I don't even know how to react to that situation. How is Bashir reacting? I'm, I'm still not entirely sure. Like, I think he, I think he, it helps him, it gives him some sense of closure, and it, and, and he's glad to have that information, but I'm still not positive. You know? Yeah, well, and I think, I think, I think Siddig played it really well, though. That the, the kind of expression felt totally real, you know, to that kind of thing, because it's too deep to just go, huh, wow, or something, you know, it, right. it's just, uh, I'm going to have to process this or something, you know, it's, it's too much. If it was me, I think I would be incredible, it would just make me incredibly sad, because then it would, yeah. I, then I would just forever be thinking about my life that could have been for the, mm-hmm. with this person that I really loved, mm-hmm. you know. Well, well, I think Dr. by this point, Dr. Bashir had, I mean, Siggy Bashir, he'd, uh, I think he'd come to terms with the fact that he yeah, was Yeah, but that's exactly why it would be so painful. Because he would be on old wounds. Yeah. Yeah, this is true, but I mean. That, that's how life can be sometimes, you know. Yeah. About the time you come to terms with something is when, you know, you get thrown a ball and it's like, okay. I mean, he then, never knew that she felt that strongly about it. Right. That it would have been him had it not been Worf. He never knew that. Yeah, and it, and it's and it's one of those things that makes Ezri so different too, which in, in a good way is that it it's kind of like it's kind of like she just dismisses all the flirting stuff in a way. It's kind of like okay, for real, you know, all that stuff back the last six years that have been happening, that kind of exchanges. Here's what's going on. Here's what was in her head, or something like that. You know, yeah. it's kind of just summing it up and throwing it aside. You know, she does that with Cisco and Worf. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Worf, you're Worf's intimidated by Cisco. I, I love that. Yeah. She, she just kind of <laughs> reveals all these little, these little hidden secrets about everybody to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to teach everybody. So it was, it was nice to see. It's kind of refreshing. Yeah, it, these these types of scenes are such a are so unique, you know, such a f- fantastic opportunity, um, and then I don't know that we've seen anything like it, you know, before or since. Um, well, in a way, there's, there, you know, no person on this planet could have that experience. I mean, like the closest thing that maybe you know one of us could have is like if there was a twin, maybe, but that's not even this close to this. Well, I mean, we we could talk about like what Steve was talking about earlier too, you know. Um but we we could talk about even just people that know somebody that well. You know, and that you and and if you lost them and then someone who knew them that well gave you this kind of information, you know, it could be a similar effect. 
Um, uh, I don't want us to run out of time here. Um, so, man, after that scene where uh, Bashir, uh, Worf sees Bashir talking with Esri, then Worf confronts Bashir. That's pretty, you know, if they, if somebody, if, if I mean, Worf comes up to Bashir and like throws him against a bulkhead, mm-hmm. you know, and says some things. If that happened today, you know. Bashir would like sue Worf, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I, I I give I give Bashir credit too. He's, you know, he's a he's a better man than I am because if somebody confronted me like that. Even if I knew they could kick my butt, like Worf could kick my butt, I would still I couldn't I couldn't resist. I would get so angry so fast, you know. Mm-hmm. This is this is very very physical and confrontational and aggressive. Um, yeah. that still surprises me at how intense it is. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help but be amused when he was trying to get away, and he was like, uh, couldn't even grab Worf's arm. I just kind of chuckled a little bit. He was like, wait a minute. Oh, wait, I can't. It was a little funny, I guess, but you guys weren't as, it wasn't as as, uh, crazy to you guys as it was to me, apparently. Well, I was yeah. impressed with Bashir, but it went so far as that he like the character um, when he he stood up for himself, but didn't get stupid hostile back. You know, he just kind yeah. of played it right. You know, and then he sends, of course, um, we know it's his idea to send instead of instead of confronting Worf later and being like, "Look, nothing." Went, no, I mean he he tried to be he he was very understanding, and you know mm-hmm. this was this was his wife, and I have to respect that. And he sent him the blood wine. Mm-hmm. Via O'Brien. Um, um, okay, we're running out of time. What, what is this episode about? Well, we, we kind of started off talking about what it's about. You know, we talked, Steve, you talked about we can't go home again. We talked about that incredible scene um, between Bashir and um, S. Anything else you guys want to talk about what it's about? Hmm. You know, that that's with uh, Worf. I, I like that scene too when he's like this this doesn't make any sense how can I honor her memory if she's not really dead yeah. you know I think there's something there that you can talk about in a, in a metaphorical way even with our society um, you know some people can just leave such a strong presence behind that mm-hmm. I how do you move on you know um, yeah, or well, you, it's felt so strongly about someone if they if they if they if they uh, composed and, and made up such a significant part of your life you know, right. Well, it's, it's like it's it's why you know they it's generally regarded uh, if, as far as psychological trauma goes. Why you know failed relationships and divorce rank right up there with the death of loved ones because it's it's a death without the death. It's it's mm-hmm. ambiguous and it's confusing. And uh, I I think that's where he's going. And and we as humans do have experience with that. Yeah. And we need that closure. It's the only way that we can move on. And and in a way, Worf has to accept that he's not going to get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get the impression that in in polite trill society, you know, there, there's something unusual about the fact that Ezri is re-entering right where Jedzia left off. Like that's right. not really what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. We know it's like for Bolton, uh, for her to like have a relationship with someone that a past life had a relationship with. Mm-hmm. But even just to kind of step right back in is it's there's a reason that that's kind of frowned upon. You get the impression. Mm-hmm. I think they kind mm-hmm. of set that up with her just being, you know, kind of, you know, she didn't go through the whole Trill thing. She didn't, you know, she obviously didn't yeah. want to be. So I think that kind of gives them some leeway, give, mm-hmm. you know, they gave themselves leeway on this. So it kind of helped them moving forward, you know. Caesar, is there anything you want to add to what it's about? 
Um, no, I'm, I'm good. It's a, a good episode. Enjoy it if you haven't watched it yet. Yeah. It's really, really fantastic. And it totally holds up. We got an answer for what it's about. Uh, no uh, surprise that it holds up. So... Six degrees for after image. Uh, Adam has one, Steve has none, and um, this one was a tough one. Of course, I didn't really have anybody guest starring, so <laughs> our normal six degrees type of question where we ask about who else in Star Trek somebody played is not going to be so easy. So we got a little bit more like regular um, trivia questions for you. Steve, you going first or second? Uh, I'll go first. Nicole DeBoyer, DeBauer. Uh, I feel bad I don't remember that one. We saw her last year in, it, at um, Creation Show, but I still can't remember. Mm-hmm. I think it's DeBoyer. She's Canadian, right? She's from yeah. Toronto. Nicole DeBoyer begins her life as Esri Dax, DS9's first counselor. Uh, what was her last name before she was joined? This is also the name of her mirrored universe version since that Esri was never joined. For some reason, it just came to me, and I might be thinking of something else, um, but I must have remembered it from when I saw it before. But is it, is it Tegan? You are correct. It was Ezri Tegan. Cool. Wow, nice I work. thought that was a tough question. I must have read it somewhere at some point, <laughs> and it stuck with me. <laughs> nice work. Yeah. Uh, so, one-to-one. Adam, this is for the win. Uh, Garrick first showed us he suffered from claustrophobia in the two-parter in Purgatory's Shadow and by Inferno's Light. And of course, in this episode, uh, Ezri helps him deal with his claustrophobia. Uh, what season were the episodes in Purgatory's Shadow and by Inferno's Light? Season five. You're correct. Season five. Look at that. Adam <laughs> takes it two to one. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Uh, the, one other thing I wanted to mention, um, I did uh, go to Comic-Con last week and I went to the panel with um, the Akutas were there, and uh, I can't remember everybody's name, but it was a whole bunch of the people that are doing post-production on uh, the next-gen and HD project, of course, where they're um, going back to the original film negative and giving us beautiful uh, renders. The Blu-rays come out next week. Uh, very excited about that, of course. I've had mine pre-ordered forever, but I'm not going to be watching it when it comes in since this show, when we finish DS9 in a couple of months, we are going to start on Next Gen. So I'm going to be getting that Blu-ray and anxiously opening it up, but not actually watch it. I'm going to wait to watch the episodes for a couple of months. Um, but the one thing I wanted to mention that was so great, of course, at that panel, they played us a ton of footage and everything looks so amazing. It looks so great. But we almost expected it to look great after that sample we got uh, back in January, the next level mm-hmm. sampler disc. But one thing they showed us that I didn't know about. They showed us some of the extra features. There are some awesome extra features. Now, Robert Burnett, you, some of you may remember him. I love seeing this guy at Comic-Con. He's always a blast. But he, uh, he and Mark Aldman, also a blast at Comic-Con, they did the movie Free Enterprise a few years ago. And you know, since then, uh, which is a great Trek love letter, if you've never seen it, rush out and watch it. Um, but uh, since then... Uh, Burnett has been producing special features for uh, feature films and stuff. So they got him to do uh, the extra features for Next Gen. And of course, as a nutty Star Trek fan, he's doing it right. So I was really impressed with the extras because it's not just fluff, which is, I hate EPK. This is not EPK. You know, there was a season of Next Gen that maybe wasn't as good for this reason or that. And he, he has, he's interviewing people and they are talking honestly about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Which means when it's good, they're talking about it. When it's good too, so I'm just saying they're they're it's all it's like real. It's not fluff, and that's what's great. And I'm so excited about it. Um, and oh my gosh, he showed us some footage now of an extra feature that is. I don't think it's going to be on the season one disc. It's going to be on the season two 
set that comes out uh, around December. They got all seven member. Well, uh, seven members. They got everybody from Next Gen, the, the primary cast, in a room together nice. for a couple mm-hmm. of hours, and they recorded it. <laughs> it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's never really happened before. They've they've been on stage together for a few seconds for pictures, like at some conventions, but they've never sat down in one room, all of them, for a big interview like this. Um, and that was awesome. And I can't wait to see that when that comes out uh, this fall as well. So now I sound like a, a marketer for Paramount Video, but <laughs> yeah, some video, excuse me. But um, anyway, it was it was very exciting uh, to go to that panel and see all those guys. And if you were following us on Twitter. You would have seen a picture I took of that panel, and if you're not, you should. It's at Trek Companion. Um, you can send us an email. That's trekcompanion at gmail.com. Um, uh, or Facebook friend us, uh, facebook.com, facebook.com slash uh, Trek Companion. Um, if any of uh, you are going, I think I think I'm going to go. Are you guys going to do the Fathom thing on Monday night? You know, they're doing this, they're playing the I two. may, I may. Yeah, I'm thinking about it myself. So on Monday night, they're going to play the two, um, play a couple of uh, next gen episodes in HD on the big screen at theaters around the country. They're not; it's not just two episodes. They're also going to give us some of the extra features. I assume they're the same ones that are on the um, box set. It seems like I did read that they're actually unique. Yeah, now that you mentioned, I remember they said something about it at that panel. They implied there are a couple of extra things. Like some of it's the same, but there's like maybe a longer edit or something like sure, that. Sure, sure. Yeah, so. Um, kind of silly when you think we're going to spend money to <laughs> yeah, no, no. take it when the very next day if the box set comes out. But I, I just think I'll regret it if I don't. There's, how right. many chances in your life are you going to have to see Next Gen on the big screen? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. Next Gen television episodes, not the originals. Not, yeah, not the movies. Yeah. But anyway, look at that. We only discussed three episodes, and this episode of Trek and <laughs> is far too darn long. So... Thank you for listening, and we will catch you in two weeks. We're, from, we're going to go back to our four-episode schedule from now on. So, you know, next time we're going to kick it off with Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, but we'll do a total of four episodes on our next podcast. Until then, take it easy. See ya. Good night, guys.